Hey Bryce, this is Desi from season 35 of Survivor, Heroes, Healers, Hustlers, and I just had to come show my baby boy some love. I miss you so much, and you know we were supposed to have our reunion this weekend in Atlanta. I don't get to see you in person, but I'm glad that I always have you on demand to hear your voice, because Issa, Issa, Issa! Purple Pants Podcast. It's the Purple Pants, it's the Purple Pants, it's the Purple Pants Podcast. You better get your headphones and listen up quick. The Purple Pants Podcast. You let listen in public might make your stomach hurt. Ooh. It's the Purple Pants Podcast. You're trying to unwind. You better get that box wine. It's the Purple Pants Podcast. You're trying to get your snack. You better hurry right back, though. It's the Purple Pants. It's the Purple Pants. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of the Purple Pants Podcast. I am your host, Bryce Isaiah, and I am so excited you guys decided to listen because we got a jam-packed episode, okay? I'm going to give you a reason to smile. I hope everyone is doing well. Welcome to all our new listeners. Welcome back. Purple Pants Posse. Yes, we got a lot to get through this episode. I hope everybody's weekend was good. My weekend, you ask? You know, busy as a quarantine bee. I was filling orders for the Purple Pants Protection Mask. And you know, with all this extra time on my hands since we are on a quarantine, I've become really a gardener. I got my green thumb in. I've been propagating a lot of plants the last couple of weeks. So I planted some plants today in my garden. So, and it's been a beautiful weekend in Philadelphia. I don't know how your cities are, but in Philly, we had a high of 80 degrees. You couldn't tell baby boy nothing. So I was out on my back deck planting my plants, putting them in soil. It was so much fun. It was relaxing. I'm like, look at me, Gardner Bryce. And I was so excited. I had a big week this week. I actually got to take over the Survivor official Instagram page for the Survivor Takeover. And that was so much fun, baby boy. You know, I had to turn it out. I turned it out. Now, you tell me which Survivor IG takeover you saw was as popping as that. Mm, I'll wait. I'm waiting. And I'm waiting, okay? Because nobody does it like your baby boy, Bryce Isaiah. But listen, we got a juicy, juicy, juicy episode for you this week. So, without further ado, let's get into what's going on. We got our church announcements. And on the menu this week, we've got our Survivor News with Jack Atkins. And we welcome my Kagiyan castmate, Alexis Taylor Maxwell. We've got the Chronicle Sunbeck on there. Kind of sad because it's the season finale. I've got HBO Insecure. I've got a secret love, and I'm breaking down the Smize Challenge. I asked my good friend Desi Williams to come and explain what the Smize Challenge is. You know we've got the Purple Pants Picks. I got advice with Bryce, Barb's message, and the Freak of the Week, baby. So you already know, this podcast about to be jumping, jumping, jumping. Oh, ladies, leave your man at home. Oh, okay, let me stop, because you know I love, I can bust out in the song and the dance all day. <laughs> welcome to church. Welcome to church. It's a church announcement, so now. Welcome to church. 
for this week's church announcements is short and sweet. I only got two church announcements on there. And the first one is, I've been saying I got new music coming. I've been saying I got new music coming. And I've been saying I got new music coming. Well, guess what? This Friday, May 8th, I have a new single out. You know what you looking for? I did with E. Berrios. Well, we are back. We've got a new song called Setback. It's E. Berrios featuring the one and only Bryce Isaiah. And you know, at midnight on May 8th, the single will be available on all platforms. Spotify, okay, iTunes, okay, the Google Play Store, okay. I even think my Uncle Pookie gonna have a couple copies in the back of his car. So it's gonna be out. I'm so excited for this new song. It's amazing. Like I had said before, I had went through a very, you know, difficult time in my life a couple of months ago where I really felt as though I was taking a huge setback. But I had to tell myself, like, it's not a setback it is you know some people say it's a setback I say it is a come up and we in life experience a lot of setbacks in our life and sometimes in those moments it really can define you of who you are it's not always like who you are when you're at where you think you should be at it's really about where you are when you're not where you're at and what you do in those moments so listen some say it's a setback I say it's a come up I'm so excited this Friday May 8th E Burials featuring Bryce Isaiah setback will be available I need for y'all to support I need for y'all to listen I need for you I need the feedback I need to see this on your Instagram stories I need to see this on the Twitter I need to see it everywhere I'm so excited You know baby boy got some new music And second on the church announcements I just want to give a warm hearted thank you To everyone that has supported me And purchased my purple pants protection mask This weekend I sold out I don't have no more Baby boy is sold out And I was like should I order more But I said you know what I'm not even going to do all of that I am just very happy that my first batch sold out and you know that just lets y'all know when Bryce Isaiah put some stuff out y'all can't be waiting don't wait on it you got to jump up on it you got to get up on it so I just want to say thank you to everyone that supported and you know it's a good cause because everyone is staying safe we need to wear these face masks during this COVID-19 time because it's some serious stuff out here but we can get through it together and that is going to conclude this week's church announcements it's a man who, it's a man you, me and potatoes like we cooking up a great stew. It's a man who, it's a man you, me and potatoes like we cooking up a great stew. And we are back this week with our Survivor news, but baby, I'm so excited because listen, with the way Survivor has been these last couple of weeks, they've been turning up the heat, so I figured why not turn up the heat this week. So let's welcome back our resident reporter, Jack Atkins. Jack, baby boy, are you there? What's going on, Bryce? How you doing? I am great. And wait a minute. Ooh. Do I hear a knock at the door? Alexis, Alexis Maxwell from Survivor Cagayan. <laughs> is that you? That is me. Hey, Bryce. Hey, Alexis. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be on the podcast with you. Yes. Yeah, we got the honor. whole beauty tribe here, the beauty reunion. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to feel more and more beautiful by the second right now. <laughs> Yes, it's so excited. Alexis, how are you doing? How have you been? Good. Just quarantine, playing a lot of Animal Crossing and watching a lot of Survivor. 
Oh, no. And who have you been quarantining with? Just me and my fiance, Evan, and then oh. our two dogs, which are keeping me sane, for sure. That is so exciting. And are, have you been keeping up to date with this season? Are you up to date with Winners at War? Yes, I am. I watch every episode live, and I tweet live, even though my tweets sometimes are just like my brain <laughs> thoughts right there. But yeah, I'm up to date. But I still need a reminder of what happened last, last Wednesday, because sometimes I forget. Yes, well, listen, I think baby boy Jack Atkins got his cover. So, Jack, what you got let's, for this week's Survivor Let's dive news? into it. Um, I think the first thing I want to talk about is the challenge this week where, you know, and Bryce, also, shout out to you for taking over the Survivor Instagram last week. But yes. I saw you doing the challenge on there, too, where, you know, it's you got the water bucket over the head. You're on a little perch. Uh, and we see this week a man and a woman are eligible to win immunity. So two of the eight players are going to be immune. And we also see, once it gets down to five people, Jeff brings out the peanut butter, the cookies, the chocolate, all the fixins. And we have several people step down. We have Nick step down. We have Michelle step down. We have, we have Kim step down. And ultimately, this week, we see Kim go home, and she clearly regrets stepping down, Bryce. What did you think of stepping down in this episode? And what do you think of you know stepping down and sitting out of challenges in general, guys? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, for yeah. me, I definitely felt like winners at war, $2 million, baby. The only way I'm sitting down, if, if if I'm Joe Inglom and I pass the hell out, that's if that's how I'm sitting down, okay? I ain't stepping <laughs> down for no $2 million, okay? No peanut butter, no cookies, no pizza. Now, if they said quesadillas, <laughs> wait a minute. That's a different story. A definitely well, different story. Alexis, what you think, girl? I just think, so it's it definitely is strategic sometimes. And I think there's cases where, like, if you have a Joe on your season and you know, this is me personally, I feel like there will be some challenges where I would know that I have zero shot of winning this against that person. Granted, in this one, it was a woman and female, or a female and a male winner. So, like, no shot that I would ever have stepped down. Didn't that go for six hours before with Parvati in the original version yeah. of it yep. yeah it's like you gotta fight two million dollars is no joke so i agree with bryce like if i if i think i have a chance of winning it even the slightest chance you gotta fight it yeah to me it's like in the challenges where jeff gives the option before the challenge to sit out and eat if i see this challenge and i know it's something i'm not going to be successful at and I, I don't feel like i'm in danger then yeah maybe i sit out get some grub in me but if i'm in the middle of the challenge or i'm like kim or even nick where it's down to two people for my gender battling it out i don't think i'm stepping out there because clearly i could do a decent job i know kim after that episode said that she felt like she was about to fall so she wanted to get some food out of it but i mean ultimately you got to keep pushing until you really really know you're 100 percent gonna fall because when it's down to two people with two million dollars on the line you could buy a lot of peanut butter and a lot of cookies with two million dollars so, oh, for sure. I, that's I, all we, I would be saying in my head is $2 million, $2 million, like for hours. That's what I would say. And it's the I, final eight. So it's crunch time. You really got to like push. If it's the final 13 and you're not worried, then maybe. But final eight, everyone's going to be in danger, especially when two people are immune. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, moving forward after that, we see Tony win his third straight immunity, which is absolutely crazy. Denise picks up another immunity. She might be the queen of these split gender immunities because she won that first one on the poll with Jeremy. But then we start getting a lot of strategy here. And Kim's original plan of gunning for Tony is obviously off the table. Uh, and it looks like the target's turning towards Jeremy, uh, which ends up changing later. But it kind of comes down to Jeremy and Kim with Jeremy, Tony and Sarah on one side and then the other five on the other side. But I just want to touch on Ben's game quickly because we haven't talked a whole lot about Ben. And I'll be honest, and 
and I like Ben as a guy, so I hope this I don't know if he listens to the Purple Pants podcast, but he I don't does. hope this, he doesn't take it personally. But I really think he is making a lot of mistakes here. Um, for one, you just see this episode, there's a little bit of an idol blunder when he finds the idol right in front of Tony and tries to shove it <laughs> in his pants. And Tony's like, dude, what are you doing? I'm right here. He's like, oh, my, my bad, dude. <laughs> and uh, additionally, like, he won't talk to Jeremy, which I think is the biggest flaw here. One, it's like when you don't have an open relationship with pretty much everyone in the game, that's going to corner you into a very tight strategic position because you you have a limited amount of people to work with. Plus, it's just kind of like rude to Jeremy. Jeremy's just a great guy. I don't know why. It's, it's, it's almost like Ben Ben wanted Jeremy out. And because Jeremy didn't go out like willingly, now Ben is pissed. I'm sure there's more going on than that. But it's just like Jeremy's trying to make like mend the relationship and Ben's just not having it. And also, that might be a guy you're trying to put on the jury do you really want a jury member to just absolutely loathe you like that's just bad jury management uh and then also i think in preparation for this vote um ben ben thinks nick is going to be loyal after this vote if jeremy goes home i think that's just a really bad misread on nick's gameplay like why why would nick want to go to the end with tony sarah and ben when he could go to the end with like michelle and denise it just doesn't make sense to me what do you guys think about ben's game right now well i mean i actually spoke to ben this week he called me so we actually had a lovely conversation um so i there's a lot to break down of what you just said so one i think that idol flunder like i mean he he tried his best, but obviously he was not discreet enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, I think that it's important, and I think Alexis and I uh, can touch on this from our own game in Kageon. It is definitely important to talk to people on your tribe, even if you're mad at him. Um, because I definitely know that when you are playing the game, although it's easy for us to sit at home and watch and be like, why aren't you talking? But baby, well, I'm trying to tell you, when emotions are running high, you really kind of forget uh, that you're playing a game. Um, and even for Alexis and and I like Alexis and I when we were on Kageon we probably were the closest people in camp like when I mean like we slept together we didn't sleep together all the time but we <laughs> we woke up every day we talked we laughed we like had the best time but when it came to talk strategic we never ever 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 talked and I always felt some type of way about Alexis for that because I'm like why doesn't she talk to me uh, about strategic like I don't understand and I just felt like she was one one of LJ's minions and I'm like okay and then word came to me from Jeffra that she was gunning for me so baby if you coming for me I'm coming for you guns are blazing Wait, praise 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 I think if you watch the episode back it happened the opposite first Jeffra tells us that you were coming for me first I never ever was targeting you until Jeffra told me that about you so that's no. how that went down for sure well, Jeffra that- played sneaky she did she was the one that was leaking information all around I didn't, I didn't even realize Realize, but I agree with you, Bryce. I've had I made that mistake on our first beach and when I went to Apari. I was just too like afraid of having my core alliance see me talking to other people, which is a very rookie thing for sure, and thinking that I'm playing multiple sides. Like I didn't want to rock the the boat. And on our first beach, like I knew I was in a comfortable position, so that's part of the reason why I didn't. But when I got to the second beach, it really bit me in the ass because I didn't even talk to like my core. Uh, or my original like beauty members that much because I knew that they already weren't planning to work with me. But if I if we had gathered some information together, we would have had a much better gameplay than we ended up having with the uh, you know the brains on our side. Yeah, there's, absolutely. There's no- oh, and ahead, I even remember like I don't know if you remember this, Alexis, but after like that after we lost that challenge and we got back to the beach and you know someone went for a walk, we were all sitting by the fire and you know you Jeremiah Jeffra you 
all went to walk down by the beach. And then I was sitting with LJ. And then LJ went down to walk by the beach. And I'm just literally sitting by the fire um, and watching you guys talk. And this is, like, one of the things that I regret the most about my Survivor play with you guys is that, like, I am literally, like, watching you guys at the beach talk. And obviously, bit you know, you guys are saying me. And what a difference it would have made, first of all, if Spicy Bricey would have came on out because I wanted to bring him out so bad, but I was so worried about, like, how people would perceive me. But I wish I would have walked down to that beach and been like, what's the tea? What's going on? Why are you guys excluding? Like, you know what I mean? I wish I would have blown that up so much because that really could have opened the opportunity for us to talk. It could have opened the opportunity to show to, like, you, Jeremiah, and Jeff for like, I ain't no little girl sitting on the side of the bench. Like, I'm ready to play. And, I like, that is just, like, one of my biggest regrets. So I definitely can relate that to Ben, like, where even if you don't like Jeremy, it is information in the game of Survivor is so crucial. So, yeah, he yeah. definitely is missing out on opportunity. I, I think you and make I a also want to bring up one point. Sorry, baby boy. No, is here. that Jeremy is the king of skating out of getting voted out of tribal. Yeah, he, oh, yeah. he sits oh, yeah. on his little bamboo bench and just takes it easy. And somehow each tribal, he's really getting out of it, which is pretty crazy. Um, Yeah, no, like you guys make great points. When you're in the game and the emotions are running high and you have a menagerie of other people that you need to manage relationships with, you might like I can understand why in the moment stuff like that happens. But it is winners at war. I mean, I just think Ben, at the very least, should not be so aloof with Jeremy. You know, I think he he could be a little more But I'm sure that's something he he regrets. Yeah, I'm trying to tell you, Jack, like, as a former player, it is Mm. not that easy sometimes. Sometimes it really is like you second-guess yourself. But no, for sure, I agree with you. Like, he definitely needs to step his game up because it's like he's getting down to the end and he's still in it. Yeah, Yeah, and he's playing. Go ahead, Alexis. I was going to say, like you called out, it, he is playing, it seems right now, very emotional, emotionally driven. Like, all of his reasonings for wanting to vote people out seem emotionally charged and not necessarily for the long game. Um, so I think that that's hurting him. And, like, in this case, when he wanted Jeremy out and that was his plan, he himself kind of threw that under the bus by telling Tony that Kim was gunning for him. So, like, what did he think was going to happen yeah, by exactly. telling Tony that? Yeah, exactly. And it's it's like... I don't know. Ben is so worried. He, he's so mad at Jeremy, partly because he's saying Jeremy's going to win if he gets to the end. But your yeah. closest allies are Tony and Sarah, who, in my opinion, are probably the two best players in this game. But, I mean, on this point, I just I just thinking about it a little bit, I do want to make the point where I've seen, like, a lot of players like Ben getting a lot of hate this season. And while I think we're going about it in, like, a very objective, strategically-minded way, like, we Ben all knows that we're fans of him as a, as a guy. I would just like to say to, like, other fans and players that... Uh, like you guys said, when you're in the game, it's a lot different. So I don't think there's like all this need for this unnecessary hate, especially on like a personal level. And I'm sure Ben's heard this strategic criticism over and over. But oh, I didn't realize he was even getting hate. I, that's that sucks. I hate that because he's he's also provided a lot of like comedic relief this season mm-hmm. too, and he's definitely a likable player. But your point is absolutely right. Like you're you're out there 24 seven with this group of people with nothing to do but interact with each other and. Things can just, you know, get a little yeah. bit 
intense if that's the case so that's sad at the very I least i just case. think you gotta be like respectful to other people but no Absolutely. for sure but and i also had said this to ben when i talked to him this week was that like listen i love spicy ben i love you cussing these people out i love you getting mad um and i was just telling him i wish we would have seen this ben and i've said this last week jay i wish we would have seen this ben in the beginning when he's up against a boston rob or some like you know what i mean so i just wish that we would be able to see a little bit more dynamic of him but never the last baby he is playing winners at war he won a million dollars so he know what to do out there yeah, so i mean yeah. it ain't a question he's about bringing, that. he's bringing the passion and i just think what I, at the end of the day what we're saying is he need, it, it would be ideal if he could channel that passion a little bit towards uh you know playing a little bit more effectively but he's bringing the passion he's bringing the energy he's been a great character so no complaints there but moving forward uh let's get into you know going into tribal it looks like jeremy could be in trouble michelle gives him this 50 50 coin uh which i'd like to touch on a little bit once we get to tribal uh which i guess we're now at tribal but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it breaks out into a lot of whispering and uh, we've seen this repeatedly this episode i didn't mind the whispering so much because they did a really good job of dubbing it with subtitles yeah but in the past it's been it's been a bother but what are your guys thoughts on like whispering both as a player and as a viewer because there's been a lot of controversy about the whispering this season well my thing is when alexis and i played before and you know i've only actually ever been to one tribal but before we would go into <laughs> tribal we were given very strict instructions that we cannot talk outside of speaking with jeff so like yep. that was like a rule so i just am so confused as to how they become so lax with it and are Agreeing. letting people whisper but i think that it gives more suspense at tribal because it you know we may they have may build up a storyline that we think it's two people and then i feel like the suspense may add a third so i think production loves it but for me as a player who is considered still a new school player season 28 was up represent but um i just feel like we were given strict rules that we cannot talk at tribal remember that alexis i do like they really really drove that point home that like if we break these rules it it, it was just like there was consequences and that yes. was that like we we abided by the rules <laughs> because we wanted to win we we didn't want to like have yeah. something mess up our game for like a, a rule break you know what i mean so i do remember that and i think it definitely has loosened up but as like a fan viewing it it had gotten a little tired to me but I like you said, Jack, if they dub it and they put the like subtitles on there and at least allow me to understand what the conversations are, I'm much happier with that. Like, I just don't like when I don't have any idea what like the strategy talk that's happening is. You know what yeah, I mean? Like the Tyson vote out is a good example of that where Sophie gathered her troops. <clears throat> sorry. And she just kind of like took them to the back of tribal council where the audio is not going to pick up any of the conversation. We don't know what's yeah. going on. This episode is a little bit different. And to Bryce's point about like the rules, I just think at the end of the day, if Jeff sees something going on that he thinks is entertaining, he's probably going to let it slide. Uh, but I agree that, you know, the whispers, I felt like Denise a little bit at the end when she was just like, nope, I'm done with this. We're done. We're voting. Yes. Um, but it, it's definitely, it's kind of a mixed bag. I don't want to see it every time because like based on like the general rules, you're supposed to come to tribal council with your plan set. So why is it every time at tribal council when the audience can't hear you very well, are you making these plans? But I understand as a player, things change in a game like this. That's so fluid. Things are going to change. Uh, but I just want to touch on the whispering as kind of a strategic element that I think was a little bit undermine this episode because I, I think tony was really the one to start the whispering uh with ben with jeremy and i actually think the reason um kim went home this episode is because of the whispering because of the whispering that tony created i think tony was then able to go to ben and say oh i'm hearing that it could be sarah this week 
they're making like Jeremy's over there with Kim. They're planning to vote out Sarah. Um, obviously Tony was <laughs> immune, and because Ben was like, "Oh shit, Sarah could go this week." Now Ben is uh, down to vote with Tony to get Kim because he'd rather get Kim than Sarah, even though he wouldn't. He'd rather get Jeremy than Kim. But now that he thinks Jeremy's not an option, he's down. And I think that's a really, really masterful move by Tony to see like three steps ahead. He's like, "If I start this whispering, then I could paint that Sarah's a target, and then Ben's gonna vote with me." Yes, yeah, I think Tony is found different loopholes to get his way without making it seem like he's too pushy and that was a really good um version of that like he couldn't convince ben so like you said this was like a a workaround to basically get ben on his side without him thinking that he was backstabbing him in a certain type of way absolutely and just the one thing to touch on your last point jack that you said like you should have your game set before you come to tribal um here's a little tad bit about like how it actually works when you are in the game um right before you go to tribal they lock you down at camp Mm -hmm. so they basically say lockdown so there is no talking and someone may have to go for a confessional so like you're literally at camp and you can't talk for maybe like an hour and then like you get taken to tribal council and you're still on lockdown and as you're waiting for tribal council you're still on lockdown so really the first time that you're able to talk is at tribal so I can understand to me there is some understanding of like if we didn't get to finish our conversation and we need to whisper there is some whisper like I can understand why some whispering would need to go down but just a little backlog for you then also what my question to you two is is that it seems that you know on this edit that we get to see of Kim is mind you and I've said this last week and I don't know about you Alexa did you ever watch Kim's season yeah I've seen all the seasons so oh, excuse, excuse me and I forgot yeah, like your how dad. could you question well, well I'm just saying I'm just saying girl <laughs> but I d- so, no I do sometimes forget what happens in some of the like older mid seasons but yeah, yeah I do remember hers because yeah. that was the women and male one on the same yeah. island yeah. one world I, I um I I watched back on YouTube maybe like before not last week but two weeks ago I watched back like the four last episodes of Kim's season and I was like oh my god Kim is a savage yeah. nasty yeah. bougie <laughs> right. so and I was like wow she is killing it and so I was so curious like why aren't we seeing this Kim in this game and so the only glimpse of that I feel like we got to see was like la- like two episodes ago and this last week's episode mm-hmm. like how she was so on point to Tony's game and like but I am just curious do you feel like Tony took her out because do you guys think there's more that we're not seeing that showing her with other conversations as to how aware of the game that she is and we're just not seeing it or do you just feel like Tony thought she was a threat my take is that there has to be more that we're not seeing um, because like why else would production drop these gems that she's so aware and everyone else is like oh my god Tony's on our side I mean I think what we do see is that Tony picks up on the fact that Kim is targeting him. He hears it from Ben and he gets the scoop from Nick just because Nick doesn't really look him in the eye and tell him, give him a straight answer. So he knows Kim is targeting him. Um, and I think that's all the reason that Tony's going to, all the reason that Tony needs to go for Kim. But I agree. Like we keep seeing Kim just absolutely uh, nail the, hit the nail on the head with Tony's game. And I think, I mean, one, that's just like shows respect for her game, I guess, even from production. But two, I think it kind of geared us up for this Tony versus Kim war that we witnessed this episode. Definitely. Yeah. And I think she has a like an inherent disadvantage because of how she basically started the game with a lot of like older school players that are now out of the game. So she's probably feeling like she's fighting from the bottom. And that could also help her have like her ears perked in the way that they are. So she's just continuing 
continually getting information. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that the Ben really triggered Tony. I don't know if that would have gone the same way if Tony didn't hear from him that he was being targeted by her. Yeah. Right. And it's almost like, well, dang, come on, Ben, you can't keep water. You just sunk Kim's game. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and I think I think obviously Kim went home, but if Tony didn't win immunity, I, I think most of the time her plan works out and she'd be in a great position. So Kim's obviously an amazing player. Yeah. And I'd just like to hop over, if that's okay, to once all the votes have been cast, we see some advantages and idols come into play. Obviously, Jeremy has a 50-50 coin. Tony's safe, but he's kind of offering up his idol to Jeremy and Sarah. Um, I just want to get your guys' takes. You know, f- just off the bat, if I'm Jeremy, clear. I guess I, at the end of the day, he made, made the right move, but I'm totally flipping that 50-50 coin because also Tony seems like if the coin doesn't hit, Tony might play the idol for me. So it's like a I got double coverage here and I'm not taking either. So, wait. So, you know, I was a little busy this episode changing into my clothes while I was taking over <laughs> the Survivor Instagram. Yeah. So, wait. Tell me this. So, I thought that Jeremy did not play his 50-50 idol. And not. that Tony gave and Tony gave him the idol. No, Tony. Nobody. The Tony kept his idol. Oh, so, so I, now. Yeah. Oh, ooh, that's good. So wait, wait, wait. Okay, wait, wait. Oh, sorry, got a little excited. So wait, Jeremy played no idol. Nope. So no idol was played, and Jeremy still has that fifty-fifty idol. Yep, which he might give back to Michelle. But right. I mean, it was obviously. In hindsight, great move. But if I'm Jeremy and Tony's saying like, well, because Tony wanted him to play the, his one first, right? Because Tony's not going to play his idol without Jeremy playing his. Um, but if I'm Jeremy, I flip that. And if it doesn't work, then Tony plays his idol for me. I feel like that's amazing. But at the end of the day, they had the right feeling and it worked out. Same thing with Sarah. Tony offered Sarah the idol and she made the right read of not playing it or not asking for it, which uh, I mean, I mean, it doesn't seem that big. But if you're a player in the game and there's six people vulnerable and someone offers you an idol, I feel like you're usually going to be like hell yeah i want the idol but she made the right call of letting tony keep it so they can use it for future uh future use oh no and then so here's my last thing before we go alexis being a returnee or not returnee but being a player from kagian um what do you think of tony and sarah's alliance do you feel like it's going to end up like how it did in kagian for sarah or do you feel like sarah will maybe be able to somehow get control of this uh alliance because if i am a, a viewer or if i I'm somebody on the edge, like the, 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 I'm saying the edge. If I'm somebody on the jury, which I could be on the edge too, because the jewelry, every, all the jewelry on yeah. the edge, <laughs> would you have respect in Sarah's game? Or would, do you feel like it would look like Tony's running the show and she's just playing sidekick cop? No. So I think I have a few thoughts about their, their relationship. I think it's different this time because it seems like they have even more of like a personally embedded relationship in it than they even did the second time they played. So I feel like they have a little bit more writing on this and it would be even more, I don't know, uncomfortable for them to backstab each other. But I think even in the season that she won and um, the like her original season, uh, both of them, they've really stuck to their their game style and they both work for them differently. Like Tony's is obviously more in your face, running the show, deep strategy. And then Sarah is unbelievably good at the social side. Like everybody on the jury will often feel a very close connection mm-hmm. with her and really like side with her in her gameplay for a lot of the social reasons. So I would love to see like a head-to-head kind of um, output against them, like to see what the jury thinks. But I think sometimes it's it's too easy for people to like on the jury to give a lot of credit to the the people who like run the big moves and things like that. But I think what's interesting about the season, we have a lot of characters that don't play that game. Mm-hmm. So I could see us having an, a final um, tribal 
table that is basically three strong social players, like the Jeremy's yeah. and the Michelle's um, and, and Sarah. We'll see. I think Tony and Sarah's partnership, like you were referencing, is I, I, right now I think it's a good partnership. And I, I don't know that they turn on each other until maybe the very end. Uh, but I do think one of them is going to get in trouble just from the outside alliance uh, very soon. Yeah. And I think I think if Tony's vulnerable, it's going to be Tony. But I think if Tony's safe or like like people know he might – obviously people now know he has an idol. I think Sarah could be the collateral from that and, and go home. Definitely. Well, I definitely think that Tony has shown that he will cut Sarah at her leg with getting rid of Sophie. So if mm-hmm. anybody's going to be the aggressor there, I definitely think it's going to be uh, Tony. But we'll have to wait and see until next week. I want to thank you so much, Alexis, for coming on the Purple Pins podcast. It's such of an course. honor. Although you, although you voted me out of Survivor and you know sometimes <laughs> when baby boy wets the whistle, I kind of get in my emotions and I call you on FaceTime and I cuss you out. But I still love you. But before you go Alexis just for anyone who has lost contact with you or not following me let the people know where they can follow you at so on you know on the survivor days they can catch your tweets and see your Instagram and the TikTok yeah so. absolutely and thank you for bringing me on board this was really fun yeah alright you want me to drop my handles Twitter is Alexis underscore Maxwell Instagram is Alexis underscore Taylor T-A-Y-L-O-R underscore Maxwell alright you heard that so make sure you guys follow Alexis on Twitter and Instagram she always stay popping. Alexis, it was a pleasure to have you here on my podcast, even though you voted me out in Kageyan. Ooh, and baby boy Jack, I can't wait to talk to you next week about when it's at war. This two-hour episode, all right? Just going to conclude our Survivor News. Keeping this menu moving and shaking, we are moving on to the season finale of Chronicle Sun. Baby, I know I haven't covered it in a couple of weeks, and I was so happy when I kept getting these tweets from the Purple Pants Posse last week talking about Bryce. Did you see Chronicle Sun season finale? Bryce, you got to talk about it. Ooh, I love it when my Purple Pants Posse gets excited about shows that I love. Now, listen, mm mm mm. When I tell y'all this episode was, ooh, ooh. Okay, okay, let me wet the whistle. Let me wet the whistle before I get too excited. Okay, mm, mm. All right, so the episode starts off with Malcolm getting arrested. He in jail because they are suspected him of killing his girlfriend, Eve. You know, Eve, the girl in the box sister that, you know, tried to trick him. And then, you know, you know, Eve. Yeah, that's Eve. So he is suspected of killing Eve's killer. So they got Malcolm in jail. So the episode starts off where he is getting bonded out of jail from guess who? His mother, Jessica Whitley, because she got the coins. So he gets bonded from jail and they put Malcolm on house arrest. So, Malcolm's not happy about being at house arrest because you know Malcolm, baby boy, trying to like, I, I, I gotta figure it out. I gotta figure out who killed, like, who's sitting me up. I'm being framed. So, they like, you staying here. Jessica's like, you, I'm not playing with you, Malcolm. You staying home. But, you know baby boy. So, Malcolm, he, they, they put him on an ankle bracelet, okay? Malcolm's on an ankle bracelet. So, Malcolm, being as smart as he is, he breaks out of the ankle bracelet. Whoo! First order of business of Malcolm as soon as he breaks out of house arrest. He goes to the NYPD headquarter. Uh, you know, Andresa, the medical examiner, who is, in my opinion, the freak of the whole season, who loves Malcolm. So he's like breaks into her office, but the whole team is there. Danny, A-Roy, and the other detective. And Andresa is basically like breaking down how this guy died and saying like, you know, Malcolm's DNA is under his nails. And 
What is surprising to us is Danny, which is kind of sort of like Malcolm's low key love interest. She starts profiling like Malcolm. And she's saying, like, this is a crime of passion. And, like, obviously, the person who killed this person would have had to have, like, you know, would have been mad, would have had passion. And they're like, you know, Malcolm would have been the person for this because he would have been so mad that Eve is dead. So, every, you know, and Andres is like, girl, don't be saying that about my Malcolm. But, and Andres is like, She's right, but it, it it can't be Malcolm. So the team leaves because they're still trying to investigate this. And then Malcolm appears and then Dries is like, how long were you there? And he's like, long enough to know. So Malcolm's like, obviously it wasn't me, but I'm trying to figure out how they could have got my DNA under his nails. And Andres is like, well, it couldn't have been anyone from my team because my team is very trustworthy. And he's like, well, what about the lab? And she's saying, like, I don't believe it's anyone from the lab. And then Malcolm's like, well, who owns the lab? And who, long behold, it is Etikot. And Etikot is obviously the guy who is like once the Whitley family down, who is behind it all. So Malcolm is like, oh, I gotta go. So Malcolm goes to the lawyer who in past episodes, I don't know if you guys remember, remember when Jessica Whitley, you know, she was she was up to be prosecuted for stabbing Martin. All of these lawyers came out and that one lawyer was like, I'll represent you. And she was like, the monster never. That's the lawyer that got Martin Whitley, Malcolm's dad, the surgeon killer, got him that sweet deal to be in the psychiatric hospital and not the jail. So Malcolm goes to see him and he's like, I know Etikot is behind this. And he's like, what are you doing here? You can't be here. And so Malcolm's like, you used to be this amazing civil civil rights lawyer. And now ever since you represented my dad, you've become this famous lawyer for representing killers and getting them off he's like have a heart like tell me what's going on and so the lawyer aka the monster is kind of having like you know going back and forth but basically he tells Malcolm like yes it's Etikot and he's like the only information that I know is that your dad has the papers that will be able to exonerate everything to show what Etikot is doing and all of a sudden while they're in the office he's like the lawyer's like did you bring somebody with you and then they turn around and then it's who it is it's Etikot he got a gun and bam he shoots the guy down and runs and so Malcolm is like you know covered in blood and he's like no 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 so Malcolm runs home he gets home his mom and Ainsley are there they're like why are you covered in blood and then he's like the monster lawyer he's dead Etikot shot him and bang 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 NYPD blue open up and so Malcolm's like oh I need 30 seconds I gotta get 30 seconds to get this ankle bracelet off now mind you Malcolm took the ankle bracelet off and put it on Jessica Whitley's assistant so they're switching it back and forth the detective A Roy and the team come in and Malcolm and Jess and Ainsley are sitting on the couch and uh, Malcolm's reading like country living and he's like hello guys and they're like you reading country living Malcolm he's like well I've been here all day with my family like what's going on they're like you've been here all day and Malcolm's like why would I lie to you guys I've been here all day and so they're like okay and then Malcolm's like well tell me what's going on in the case like have you guys have you, you fixed anything you figured anything out and then they're like no but as long as you said you've been here all day we good so they get ready to leave and Malcolm's like I, I haven't I lied I went to go to the lawyer's office but Endicott shot him and they're like what and my, mind you Ainsley is like what is you doing baby boy obviously Malcolm wants to go with them so they arrest him take him to the station and so they're at the station and Malcolm is like explaining everything that you know he knows and it's like you know it wasn't me it definitely wasn't me and so when they're like well Malcolm the killer had your DNA on them and Malcolm's like well he could have been dead the whole time and they're like well how could you've been dead the whole time you was in the room with him you work for the NYPD Blue you not the NYPD Blue I always say that you work for the NYPD you are 
profiler. How you don't know if somebody dead? And then Malcolm has a, a mini flashback. When I saw the bandages over his eyes, I didn't even go near him. And so they're like, oh, he could have been dead the whole time. So the team's like, so this opens it up to, you know, the nurses, the doctors, other people that could have been there. They're like, this is great, Malcolm. This is great. So let me just touch on Martin Whitley real quick. Now, in the beginning of the episode as well, too, Martin Whitley wakes up, his cell doors open, and the phone is ringing. And Martin's like, what is going on? What's going on? So as the phone is ringing, Martin exit his cell uh, or luxury suite, as we like to call it, huh, the privilege. Um, and he answers the phone and it's Etikot. And Etikot's like, uh, Martin. And Martin's like, Martin is kind of like almost as if he's scared of Etikot. Um, and basically he's like, I know everything. And like, you know, I know you tried to set me up and guess what? I'm going to get you. And Martin's like, how? And then he's like, well, I heard you tried to break out of your cell. And all of a sudden the alarm goes out and obviously Martin is out of his cell and the, and the guards come running. And basically they take him away to who, Rikers. And so now he's in general population. Now, while Martin is in general population, he feels like uh, a bird out of water or a fish out of water or it would be a bird out of air, I guess. But anyway, he feels out of place. And so one of the people in the prison come up to him and is like, you see all them people? They trying to kill you because there is a bouncy on your head for them to kill you. And he's like, you know, I run this. This is my jail. I run this. And I can't have all that chaos. So Martin's like, I don't want to be here. Uh, you know, as soon as I get in contact with my son, I'll get out of here. And the guy like, well, you think I'm trying to help you? He like, I'm going to kill you. So Martin is, is fearing for his life in general population. So fast forward back to they are at the, the NYP D station and Malcolm's like I really need to get in contact with my dad because my dad has these answers and A-Roy's like well and Malcolm's like and no one knows where he's at and A-Roy Lieutenant A-Roy is like well he's not at the psychiatric hospital they moved him to Rikers and Malcolm's like oh, that's Etikot they're trying to kill him they're going to kill him and so Lieutenant A-Roy's like I, I, I can't pull no strings to get you up into Rikers but Bay Bay okay the MVP of the Whitley family Ainsley you know she on her reporter time stuff so she has friends that owe her a favor so they get to go see their dad Ainsley gets Malcolm and Ainsley to go into Rikers to see her dad in the visitation room so they see Martin and Martin is visibly shaken um they are like are you, you're scared dad and so obviously Malcolm is like trying to get these papers and these documents that he has that can prove that Etikot is behind all of this and basically Martin reveals to them that it was all a lie it was a roost and that he just was saying that he had that to kind of get Etikot mad and obviously it worked but Etikot's so mad that baby he about to kill you martin what is you doing so uh they don't really have much time but martin tells malcolm that well the only way to stop this is to kill him you can kill him you're my son you got it in you and martin like first of all martin why are you telling your son to kill him and ainsley's like oh my god dad what is you doing so they have the time is up and the dad is like looks scared and so the dad is like basically saying to ainsley and uh malcolm like i love you you guys were my pride and joy and if i don't ever get to see you again just know that i loved you and so the guards are taking him back and listen Ainsley stands up and grabs her dad and says listen dad you are the smartest person in this jail you are the surgeon you better act like it and she like grabs her dad and it's like this really big scene because it's like ooh, you know Ainsley always had these issues with her dad um, and just Ainsley is kind of not the black sheep of the family but obviously she is the daughter to the surgeon Malcolm is the super smart kid who works for the NYPD and you know Jessica is you know the socialite with the money and so Ainsley just kind of always had a hard time finding her place and you know we see her trying to get her journalism off the ground so it was really a pivotal point for us to see Ainsley kind of encouraging her dad and she grabbed his arm and the dad kind of looked at it and kind of smiled like oh look at my baby girl all 
during a while, Jessica, you know her fabulous, rich self, okay, popping them pills and drinking up alcohol, she gets invited to dinner by Etikot. Etikot is like in love with her. And so they're like, don't go, mom. You should not go. And she's like, well, maybe I could record him saying some you know, incriminating things, and I'll be able to, like, you know, crack this case and get you off, Malcolm. So they're like, Mom, don't go. But obviously, you know how this family works. They say don't go, she go. So, just remember that. So Malcolm is back at home after going to see his dad, and Lieutenant A-Roy is at his house when he gets there, and Lieutenant A-Roy is like, listen, Malcolm, I couldn't stop them. They're going to be filing charges against you tonight, so what I need you to do is pack a bag, get some cash, and I need you to leave town for a couple of days until we can figure this out, and so Malcolm's like, absolutely. However, Malcolm also tells Lieutenant A-Roy that my mom is supposed to be going to dinner with Etika, and I don't think that she should be going there, so I need for you to look out for her, and Lieutenant A-Roy is like, you know I got you. Now, this whole season, I've been saying it looked like Lieutenant A-Roy had a thing for Jessica Whitley, okay? So, Lieutenant A-Roy leaves, and Malcolm's gathering his things together, and uh, he wants to leave his phone, because obviously, if he brings his phone, they'll be able to track him. But before he leaves, he plays the last message that his girlfriend Eve left him. Um, And, you know, she's like, Malcolm, I don't want you to worry. Like, I'm sorry I had to leave you this way, but, you know, I have to do this on my own. And so as he's leaving, he hears, like, these dogs barking and these birds, and Malcolm is like, those are different dogs. So he calls his friend, uh, Danny, and is like, can you do a reverse check on a phone number for me i need a favor so he does this reverse check or she danny does the reverse check and then you know all we see is malcolm getting in the cab and then malcolm arrives to like what looks like a animal clinic so malcolm goes inside and he's like i really can i speak with the veterinarian and this lady turns around and she's like i'm the veterinarian and baby who is the girl in the box the girl in the box you know who he was looking for who this whole time malcolm's been having these flashbacks she's alive so malcolm is like oh my god what is going on so he's like i'm you know i got a bird named sunshine she's not doing that well and then she's like well let me let's make an appointment he's like well i'm i'm malcolm whitley and then she's like malcolm and he's like i see that says dr ashley but i don't think that's your real name and she's like the boy from the box and so they have this conversation and you know they figure out like where their connection with eve and the death of eve and you know what the motive is and the only person that could want to kill eve as much as you know how they are portraying mal for it to be malcolm could be the sister and she's like she was here for three days and she left three days and she left and malcolm's like well i just guess this is one of them cases that i just would never be able to figure out Whew. So at the same time, Martin Whitley is in jail and they're like lining the people up to like kind of, I guess, go to dinner, go to lunch, go to child, go back to their cells. And so Martin sees the guy that said, I'm going to kill him. And so obviously, you know, if anybody watched, you know, them jail shows, the people be getting stabbed with a shank when they be passing each other. So they about to pass each other and Martin jumps and gets him out and like the guy pulls out his shank and we know what a shank is from 60 days in. Okay, shout out to Dennis. Hey. <laughs> okay, so he pulls out the shank, and he's about to, like, try to stab Martin. And Martin's like, you know, when you were talking to me earlier, I saw you itching. And he, I, he was like, at first, I thought it was, like, a nervous itch. But he was like, I realized it's a uncontrollable itch. And that really could be from a tumor uh, in your head. You could have a tumor. He's like, you just trying to say that. He's like, no. So Martin starts saying all of these symptoms. And obviously, the guy must have these symptoms. And he's like, it could be a tumor in your head that could kill you. And he's like, you know, I'm the surgeon. He's like, I could get you a referral to see someone to actually have it checked out and he's like i'm assuming that would be worth more than the bounty on my head so he's like all right 
I ain't going to kill you. So they get back in line. And as the people are walking and seeing that he's still alive, he's like, he with me. He good. Don't hurt him. And the guy's like, you playing. Get out of my way. So this whole riot breaks out. And mind you, Martin is just standing in the middle of the riot. Like, what is going on? Okay, now remember this scene. Because, listen, I got to get to some other juicy stuff before I get back to this scene. So Jessica Whitley goes on the date to Etikot's home. She's at Etikot's home and he is essentially telling her all of the things that he has done for her. And we know throughout the season, Jessica has a love-hate relationship with Martin Whitley. She feels like he's ruined her family and that she does not, you know, this whole season she has not wanted him to be in that cushy psyche, uh, in that cushy psych hospital. She wants him in jail with the key thrown away. But obviously we know as the season has gone on, Mal Martin has done things for the family that has kind of sort of helped the family and kind of sort of like, you know, you know, Jessica still might love him a little bit. So Etika is saying how he set Martin up to be in jail and that he'll be killed and that like, you know, I'm doing all of these things for you. And she's like, well, why would you do these things for me? And he's like, because don't you know, I'm in love with you. Okay, child, she got a thing for these crazy men. So in the middle of their date, the doorbell rings and he's like, oh, I'll be right back. So he like leaves this dining area that they're at and shuts the door and Jessica Whitley pulls out her iPhone because okay she ain't stupid she been recording the conversation the whole time but she like she want to see what the action is so she like runs around not runs around but sneaks around this mansion and kind of goes to the step to see who's at the door and long behold it's Lieutenant Aroy so Lieutenant Aroy is at the door he's like I'm taking Jessica Whitley home with me and Manic Etikot is like uh you can maybe talk to her tomorrow morning after our date after our nightcap because she ain't going nowhere with you and lieutenant aroy is like listen what you want me to pull out my gun because listen baby girl coming home with me so lieutenant aroy goes to pull out his gun and mind you etika had this little bodyguard that was right next to him and boom oh they stabbed lieutenant aroy now and jessica sees it and jessica's like oh my god and so lieutenant aroy is like on the ground bleeding out and etika is like i've heard that getting stabbed in the guts is the most painful way to die and so etika turns around and starts coming back upstairs so jessica whoo she runs back into the dining room and try to get herself together like whoo whoo and he's like oh i'm so sorry where were we at and jessica's like oh Oh, I'm not sure. Like, what was going on? And he was like, so, are you going to stay the night with me or something like that? And Jessica was like, of course. And baby, I told y'all this whole time, Jessica Whitley is literally one of my favorite characters. Although, you know me, I love me some Malcolm. But listen, he said, so where were we at, Jessica? She took a plate and said, bop, right upside his head. Okay, she took the plate, hit him upside the head, ran through the house. Okay, she seen that A-Roy was gone, but his car keys was there. So she got his car keys. She ran outside. Mind you, she left her purse and everything. Looked like it was a bird bag too. Left her purse. Got into Lieutenant Aroy's car. Started driving it. And then the guy who stabbed Lieutenant Aroy put him in the back of his car and obviously was going to dispose of the body. So he pulls out the driveway and Jessica see him and she get his car and go boom. Oh, come on. Come on, Jessica. So she gets out the car, gets gets him out the trunk, puts him in the car and drives him to the hospital. Jessica! Okay, I was like, yes, Jessica. Oh, okay, okay. Whoo, four, three, two, one, Bryce. Four, three, two, one. Okay, so Lieutenant Aroy, he at the hospital now. Mind you, at this point, everyone's there. Danny's there, his mom's there, even Malcolm's there. Because obviously I feel like they feel, they know at this point it's Etikot because they have Jessica saying the eyewitness. So Danny and them are like, okay, well, let's go get some warrants for Etikot's house in his office. And Jessica's like, I'll go with you guys if you guys need me to give me a statement for, so that you can get these 
these warrants. So Jessica is like, Malcolm, stay here with Lieutenant Aroy so you know everything is good. So Malcolm's like, no problem. As they leave, Malcolm gets a text from Ainsley, come home right now. Woo, Chalet. So Malcolm run, runs home to the Whitley Manor and Whitley is, Ainsley is sitting on a couch next to Etikai. Woo, Chalet. And Malcolm's like, what are you doing here? Has he hurt you? And Ainsley's like, no, he hasn't hurt me. So Etikai just up, walking around, making a scotch and Ainsley and Malcolm are just looking like, what the hell is going on? Malcolm's like, Ainsley, don't worry about it. The police are currently getting a search warrant for his offices and his home and his secret offices. And Etikai's like, too bad you won't find anything there. So they're like, you know, the bodyguard that stabbed Lieutenant Aroy, hmm, we're going to get him. And Etikai's like, oh, it's too bad he took his own life. So Etikai's like, don't you guys understand? I own this city. Everything is under my control. He's like, I'm not going down anywhere. And he's like, and your mother, she's good in bed. So Malcolm sits on the couch and he's like, start shaking. He's got this tremor. And we know what that tremor is about. That tremor, a lot of the time when he gets those like flashbacks or those thoughts of killing people. So he's like sitting on the couch with this tremor and Atticott's like you really should get that tremor looked at and all of a sudden baby boy Malcolm jump up with a gun and he has the flashback of the dad saying like you have to kill Atticott that's the only way to stop him so Malcolm jumps up with the gun and it's like don't play with me don't play with me don't play with me. And Etikot's like, too bad you're too much like your mom. All at all talk and no action. Like, you're not going to kill me. Like, you know, if you was going to kill me, you would have been killed me. So Malcolm's just standing there with the gun. And we get the sense he's not going to kill him. And we like, come on, Malcolm. But obviously, I don't want Malcolm to kill him. But, baby, are y'all ready for this? While Malcolm is standing there holding the gun. And Etikot's just standing there. Whoo! Ainsley come from behind with a knife and goes, rock! She cuts his throat and he turns around and the Ainsley starts rah, 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 starts oh my god oh my god she starts stabbing him like a thousand times and he drops down to the ground and then she drops the knife and she looks at Malcolm and Malcolm looks at her and she's like what happened what happened like whoo like I said that whole time all the time Malcolm thinking he the killer of the family and baby it's Ainsley Ainsley don't play so remember when I told y'all that Malcolm's dad was in the middle of that brawl like all of the guards fighting all of the prisoners fighting each other and so the guards were getting beat up and he's just standing there and so so one of the guards drops down to the ground and his phone drops down. And so, of course, Martin picks it up and calls Malcolm right as Malcolm is looking at Ainsley. Um, like, and like, oh, my God. So and Ainsley's like in shock. So she picks up. And he's like, my boy. And Malcolm's like, it's not a good time, Dad. He's like, I took Ainsley advice. And he's like, huh, Ainsley took your advice, too. And then Martin's like, my girl and baby that's how the epi- that's how the season ends oh my god this leaves the door open for so much because i'm like are they going to cover up this body because uh, you know they can put the body in the basement put it in the box you know you know that whitley family is good it's just like is lieutenant aroy going to make it are we going to see malcolm and danny's love affair are we going to see jessica whitley and lieutenant aroy's love affair what's going to happen to ainsley oh i tried to tell y'all prodigal son is so good if you did not watch this season you missed out but don't worry it's on fox the man catch up on it and you know when season two comes out baby boy the purple pants podcast is going to be on it keeping the menu rolling let's get into this week's episode of hbo's hit show insecure 
Insecure. Woo. It's another great episode. Uh, what I love about Insecure so much is that I feel like it's so relatable to my life. The main character, Issa, is a young African-American female living in L.A. trying to really figure out her life. And sometimes I always can, like, put myself into Issa's shoes or some of her friends. So this week's episode, it was a- another good one. And another thing that I love about Insecure is that it is only 30 minutes. So you don't really feel like you have to devote so much time. You know, sometimes you be watching them shows and you be like, oh, do I have an hour to give? Do, is my energy level? And I don't know if any of y'all are like me, but my energy got to be right if I'm watching a show. I can't be tired and want to watch it because then it's like, oh, baby, I'm dragging. But for Insecure, it's short, sweet and right to the point. So this week, Issa is still planning her block party. And we know from last week that she got the headliner Schoolboy Q. So that's a huge accomplishment for Elisa. Uh, who, who the hell is Elisa? Issa. It's a huge accomplishment for Issa that she's got a big name uh, headliner. So she's working on that. She's getting the flyers together. Also, Molly out here with her new bae, Andrew. We know they had a couple of difficult times last episode, but they really are on a page of their exclusive now. They're in a relationship. And the issues that are coming about in their relationship this episode is that Molly, you know, she's a lawyer. She's at a new law firm and she's putting a lot of time into her work. Andrew wants to go to the movies. Andrew wants to do date night. And it seems that Molly is always, always having to reschedule. Even one time he came over this episode and they were supposed to have a cute little, you know, cute little something. And Molly was not finished doing her work. And she's like, just give me 10 minutes. Just give me 10 minutes. Andrew got over there around 10 o'clock. When Molly got done her work, it was 1.15. So, it is putting a strain on their relationship. So, Issa and Molly's friend Tiffany, she was pregnant. She had her baby. And she's kind of sort of having like a sip and see, having all of the friends over there. Now, mind you, Lawrence is over there because Issa and Lawrence, they still have all of the same friends. And if you remember... Lawrence is Issa's ex-boyfriend of five years. So Lawrence is up with Tiffany's husband looking at the baby and the ladies are downstairs. So Molly and Issa are still like at this weird disconnect. So they are, it's kind of like a back and forth, very passive aggressive. Um, You know, Molly is saying like, you know, she's so happy that Tiffany has her husband to help support her. And Molly's like, Andrew's so supportive of me. He just loves on me and loves on me. And Issa makes a joke, which if they were normally on the same page that they normally are, Molly will go with the joke. But Molly like, well, I'm just trying to say that it's good to have a partner. And Issa's like, well, I'm just making a joke. So Issa and Molly, their friendship we know is deteriorating and it sucks. So Molly goes with Tiffany to go talk about something and Issa stays downstairs with their friend Kelly. Now Kelly is the crazy one. If I was on Insecure, I would be Kelly. Um, And Issa's like, does Molly seem off? And she says that to Kelly and Kelly's like, no, what's going on? What's the tea? And Issa's like, nothing. She just seems kind of off. Now the same token, Molly is having the same conversation with Tiffany. Meanwhile, while Issa and Kelly are talking, Lawrence comes downstairs and he kind of like mouths to Issa like can we talk so Issa is like Kelly I'll be right back so Issa and Lawrence go outside and they're just really kind of like reconnecting laughing and joking now we know at the end of last episode Lawrence was sliding in Issa's DMs and it seemed like they were reconnecting and the show played Maya case of the ex dun it's after midnight and she's on your phone phone and to us to the listeners that's kind of like ooh, what's going on there so Lawrence really wants to kind of like have a conversation with Issa and we don't really know what it is maybe is he trying to say that him and Condola broke up we don't know maybe he's trying to say that he misses that old thing and wants it back 
because as they are talking, Issa gets a phone call from Schoolboy Q's manager and basically saying that Schoolboy Q is pulling out of the black party. And now Issa is like all discombobulated because she's been working so hard for this block party and now the headliner is pulling out like what so Lawrence sees that Issa is kind of like a mess and doesn't really want to finish the conversation Issa's like well finish it he's like no I'll let you go handle it so Issa leaves we see Issa later in the episode back at her apartment looking up like local artists seeing if she can get in contact with a local artist to maybe headline. She's reaching out to like her old college friends that she hasn't talked to in a while and then Issa gets the idea that Molly's new bae Andrew, he works for Live Nation. So there's an artist that Issa is thinking about getting and what better way to get in contact with him than with Molly. So we know Issa and Molly haven't been on the same page. So Issa calls Molly Molly's at work and Molly is like hey girl what's up and Issa it's like you got a moment to talk and so we see this kind of point of molly almost like yes is Issa and i finally going to have this conversation to talk about why are we off and to get on the right page so Issa kind of cuts right to the point and it's just like my headliner pulled out and i need another headliner i found this guy and he's with live nation and you know andrew's with live nation do you think you'd be able to ex andrew for him and so molly kind of like you know was like Ugh, i guess yes i can ask him for you but we see Molly agrees to doing that, but, you know, Molly is disappointed in the sense that she wanted to have a conversation with Issa, and she thought that, like, you know, Issa was actually calling to check up on her. Later in the episode, Molly Molly and Andrew get into this fight because they finally have a date night, and, you know, after the date night, Molly wants a nightcap, and Andrew's like, well, I'm actually going out with my boys to play poker because I didn't think you would have time because you've been so busy. So we see more point of contention in this relationship with Molly and Andrew. So the next, or the next time Molly and Andrew see each other, Andrew comes over to, to Molly's house, and they really talk about, you know, their relationship and Andrew's just like I don't feel like I'm your priority and we're over the honeymoon stage so I don't really know what to make of it so Molly's like you are my number one priority and I'm going to make things better then Molly goes into the bathroom and calls Issa Issa's all excited like yes Molly what's up girl thank you for calling me back so quick yes Andrew gonna make it happen and Molly clearly says to her that she has not asked Andrew and she doesn't feel like she's going to ask Andrew because she wants to keep and protect her relationship with Andrew from any outside things and so Issa's like outside things well what are you saying and Molly's basically saying like I don't want to mix friends in with this relationship but really what Molly is saying is that like I ain't asking him for you I want to protect my relationship but if Molly and Issa were on great terms this would be no issue it just exacerbates the issues that they're having in their friendship and that's where the episode leaves off and we know from the first episode of the season that Molly and Issa have a major falling out and so these last couple of episodes really have just been highlighting the breakdown of communication why I love Insecure so much I'll say it again and again and again there's so many friends in my life that a lot of the times we have breakdown in communications like this it's just so crazy and so it's so crazy to see somebody on the screen that looks like me having the same issue so if y'all not watching i'm telling y'all y'all need to watch hbo sunday nights 10 o'clock it's on demand you can catch up it ain't that bad next on the menu i told y'all a secret love now y'all ever be on netflix and netflix recommends a movie or you see a movie on netflix and you be like what is this what what i don't know if i want to watch this so my Friday night, I'm just chilling, and I see a secret love come on. And I'm like, you know what? I normally wouldn't watch it, but listen, during this quarantine life, I don't got nothing else to do. I might as well. 
So I get into not knowing what it's about. I just see like the cover is like these two older Caucasian ladies. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what this is about to be. But baby, I was not ready for the emotional roller coaster that I, I went on because essentially it's a bittersweet celebration of two women that had a six decade romance. So baby. So let me introduce you to these characters. So there's Aunt Terry. And there's Aunt Pat, okay? They're originally from Canada. They both grew up on farms in Canada. And Aunt Terry back in the day, y'all know that show or that movie that came out in 1992, A League of Their Own, that features the American Girl Professional Baseball Team. Well, Aunt Terry was one of them girls on the team. So I love this because there's a story in the story. But Aunt Terry had many men that she was supposed to marry. And even Aunt Pat. Aunt Pat played hockey. Aunt Pat had like three men she was supposed to marry and they all died. But Aunt Terry and Aunt Pat met. They fell in love and they became like lovers. Now, back in this time, we think in 70 years ago, the 1940s, the 1950s, like, you know, they didn't have LGBTQ rights. Like, you know, if women were found out to be lesbians, they could be persecuted. It was just horrible. So Aunt Terry and Aunt Pat did not feel comfortable in Canada. They felt like if they moved to the city, they could have more acceptance. So they moved to the city of Chicago. But things did not get easier for them because, you know, back in that time in the 40s and 50s in Chicago, they used to do like a uh, bar raids so that if they went to the bar and they felt like a lesbian bar, baby, these people was getting put in the back of the paddy wagon, going to jail. It's so crazy. And so Aunt Terry and Aunt Pat lived together. They worked together and they were lovers the whole time. Now, mind you, you thinking like we all got them Aunt Terry's and Aunt Pat's like, mm-hmm. but Aunt Terry and Aunt Pat told their families and their friends that they were cousins and that they lived together because the rent in Chicago was so expensive. And that it was easier for them to, you know, roommate together. And so it just really takes you on this roller coaster of Aunt Terry and Aunt Pat. And the setting of the documentary is really like current day. So Aunt Pat and Aunt Terry are older. And it really sucks because they've kept this secret from their family for years. And they reveal in the documentary that it wasn't until 2009 that they finally came out. Now, Aunt Terry had this niece named Diana. Diana. Diana was Aunt Terry's brother's daughter. And the brother was like an alcoholic, abusive. So Aunt Terry was a, a mother figure to Diana. Diana and Aunt Terry have this like mother-daughter relationship. Aunt Terry loves Diana. So she finally told Diana in 2009. And Diana's like, I don't care. I love you. And they told the rest of their family. And they're like, I can't believe that you kept this from us for so long. So then it kind of breaks down to a lot of the issues that are going on is that Aunt Terry and Aunt Pat, they are up there in age and they are deteriorating. They're getting old. Aunt Terry has walking problems. Aunt Pat got this nasty old limp. And Aunt Terry's family is in Canada. And they want them to be in Canada. But Aunt Pat don't want to move back to Canada. Aunt Pat, they love their house in Chicago. And they don't want to move. And so then we see this fight between Diana and Aunt Pat. Now, mind you, when I'm watching this documentary, Aunt Pat, for a lot of the time, was kind of pissing me off. Because Diana comes up to Chicago. And they're like, we really need to look at nursing homes for you and where you guys want to live and every nursing home they go first of all Aunt Pat I mean Aunt yeah Aunt Pat she ain't trying to move to Canada so Aunt Pat like well we got a house we got a friend here and that was another thing about Aunt Pat and Aunt Terry because they kind of kept the secret from their family they had developed these friendships in Chicago with other LGBTQ couples that were like their family so every place that they look at 
Aunt Pat ain't for it. She's like, oh, it's too expensive. It's too this. It's too that. They don't want to move to Florida because all they're going, like, you know, Aunt Terry, like, I don't want to just look at water all day. Like, you know, we're accustomed to the city. And obviously, Aunt Pat does not want to move back to Canada. So Aunt Terry is kind of like obliging to that. So there comes a point where Aunt Pat and Aunt Terry realize, like, we need to sell the house. But they ain't doing nothing about it. So we see there's like Aunt Terry who is very energetic. She has a physical therapist coming to the house. And so, you know, we see Aunt Terry doing these like workouts, you know, like, yes, Aunt Terry. So then the documentary goes a, a, a year later. And then a year later, Aunt Terry has definitely been declining in health. And it's really sad to watch. And so, and not for nothing, so was Aunt Pat. Aunt Pat, now Aunt Terry is about 12 years older than Aunt Pat, but baby, they both old. So Diana is super concerned concerned and super worried about their health and that you know Aunt Pat is not doing anything to move so Diana comes down and for the longest time Diana's been saying like hey I want to come down and see you guys I want to come down and see you guys and Aunt Pat is like not now not now not now so Diana basically surprises them and comes down and when Diana sees Aunt Terry which is like her mom she is like almost crying because Aunt Terry is deteriorating so much she's down to like 100 pounds and so she's like listen we have to move we have have to move and so there was this pivotal point in the documentary where they are Ontario and mind you Ontario is so cute like oh I get so emotional so they Diana's there and Ontario is they're putting Ontario to sleep and Ontario's like I really want to tell Diana now I'm not sure what she's saying she wants to tell her I don't know maybe if she wants to update her on her health and Aunt Pat is like absolutely not do not tell her now mind you Diana earlier in the documentary feels like she loves Ontario with her life she loves our pet as well too but she always feels like she never knew whether or not our pet's love for her was genuine or if she only put like if Aunt Pat only put up with Diana because she knows how much Aunt Terry loves her so there's like this tug of war for Aunt Terry's attention between Aunt Pat and Aunt and Aunt Pat and Diana. And Diana says, like, I understand. Like, Aunt Pat has always had Aunt Terry to herself. And she doesn't really want to share her. So, back to that night where Aunt Pat is putting Aunt Terry to sleep. And Aunt Terry's like, I really want to tell Diana. And Aunt Pat is like, absolutely not. Don't tell her anything. So the next morning, Diana is fired up because she heard the conversation. And she's like, I can't believe, I can't believe you would try to, like, ice me out. And Aunt Pat's like, oh, I feel bad. I, I, I don't know why I would say that. I don't know why I say that. So mind you, they find, so they, they come to this conclusion that, yes, they will want to find an assistant living home in Chicago. The assistant living home that everyone agrees on, I don't know. I'm going to just call it Shady Pines. Okay, that's a, who, who got their Golden Girls reference? I'm going to call it Shady Pines because I don't remember. But Shady Pines is expensive, baby. It's literally like $8,000 a month. Now, y'all shouldn't be doing our elderly people like that. $8,000 a month? But, so it's $8,000 a month. And Aunt Pat is like, oh, no, we can't do that. That's too expensive. That's too expensive. That's too expensive. That's too expensive. You know, Aunt Pat putting up these roadblocks. So, after that fight that they had, Diana then discovers, get a hold of this. Aunt Pat and Aunt Terry and they savings have over a million dollars. So Diana is like, why are you saying that it's too expensive? You guys can afford it. You guys can afford it. So basically, in a nutshell, Diana, with her intervention, gets Aunt Terry and Aunt Pat to move into Shady Pines. So after they move into Shady Pines, another thing that they talked about was that how Aunt Pat and Aunt Terry never got married. So after they move into uh, Shady Pines, they get married. And when I tell you that them getting married... And 
and and so you learn throughout the documentary that Aunt Terry was still kind of like nervous about getting married when they first meet them because she just even though it's accepted she still is living in the 1950s of kind of like keeping a love you know that cousin love a secret so baby when they get married baby boy I, I don't know about y'all but when I watch TV shows when I watch documentaries I love a documentary that I can put myself into the people's shoes I felt like I was a family member at the wedding baby boy was sitting there crying because it was just like I love it I oh my god I loved it I loved it so much and then also when before they moved to Shady Pines um, and Diana and the rest of the family is helping them move. They're going through all of the stuff. They're finding Aunt Terry's photos when she was in the American Girl Professional League. And they also find these love letters. And so Diana is like, ooh, read the letter. And Aunt Terry's like, ooh, that's the letter that Pat wrote to me. And so Pat reads the letter. Baby boy gets teary-eyed. But in all of the letters that they found... They the bottoms are cut off. And so I I keep saying Aunt Diana. It ain't Aunt Diana. It's niece Diana. Diana's like, Aunt Terry, Aunt Pat, why are the letters cut off at the bottom? And they say, well, because when we were writing these letters, if anyone ever like, you know, raided our home or something happened to us and, you know, we weren't here and they found these letters, we did not want them to know that they were written to each other. And that was just like, wow. And me as a gay man, an openly gay man, like, you know, thinking in 2020, like, like, you know, I'm free to love who I want to love, although I can't get a man to save my life. I can't get nobody to text me back. But, like, I'm free to be who I am. I choose to be who I am. And to think that, like, I couldn't express, like, it just puts so much perspective on our life and our world. And, like, you know, although we think that, you know, we've come a long way, baby, it ain't, it is not that long ago that they were persecuting, killing, beating members of the LGBTQ community. So it just was all in all, all in all, the documentary really brought brought joy to my heart. I loved it. And it's bittersweet because we learned that after, oh, so mind you, here I am cutting the button. So they lived at Shady Pines for a little bit. And then Aunt Pat finally broke down and realized that they wanted to be with family. So they moved back to Canada. Everyone was so happy. And so when they moved back to Canada, they lived for about three years together. And then Aunt Terry passed and Aunt Pat is still alive uh but it's just so sad like i uh it's just for such a long time they had to keep their love a secret and they had to just like live and just worried about what people would think about them and it just uh i don't know it, it's a a good it's a happy movie but it also just is so sad i text my mom this week and i was like oh mom watch this movie and of course an hour later my mom was like oh my god bryce it was so good so if you guys want a a tearjerker and just like you know something to open your eyes about like how far we have come and really not that long ago definitely you guys should check out a secret love on netflix and last but not least, on the menu this week, I had told y'all we got the Smize Challenge. Well, I feel like in order for me to explain the Smize Challenge, I need to actually bring the creator of the Smize Challenge. Let's welcome back to the Purple Pants Podcast, my friend, the doctor of physical therapy. Okay, Miss Virginia 2013, Miss Virginia USA 2016, also was on season 35, Heroes, Hustlers, and Healers, Miss Desi Williams. Welcome back to the Purple Pants Podcast, boo. Thanks, boo. I appreciate you having me as always. And thank you for the introduction. That was so official. Okay, you got to let these people know out here what's popping. That's right. So I'm so excited to have you on here because you know me, I be scrolling through the Instagram and I seen you tag me in this Smash Challenge. And I was like, wait, this is so great. Will you come on the podcast and talk about the Smash Challenge? 
Yes, I am happy to talk about the Smosh Challenge because I just feel like we are not being kind to each other out in the world and nobody is smiling, nobody is making eye contact, and that's got to change. I cannot agree more. I think it would be great if you wouldn't mind sharing. Obviously, you know, a real friend out here and, you know, we talk and last week you had shared a, a personal story about an experience that you had at Trader Joe's and I feel like it's almost like the springboard to your Smosh Challenge. So would you mind telling the listeners about your experience? experience or your story about Trader Joe's? Absolutely. So I don't know if this is like an LA specific thing, but at all of the Trader Joe's in LA, there's a line outside. So everybody's standing in line, you know, six feet apart, waiting to get into Trader Joe's. And then once you get in Trader Joe's, it's just like this air of like everybody being freaked out, everybody being on high guard. I was literally walking through Trader Joe's and a lady stopped me and she was like, whoa, you can't come down this aisle. There's already six people down this aisle. And people are upset if you get in front of them or if you get too close. And I just felt this air of hostility everywhere around me. And it was like the most stressful thing I've ever been through. So maybe not I've ever been through, but it was just, I didn't expect grocery shopping to be that stressful. So I got back in my car and I found myself like bawling, not just crying, not just a tear, but just bawling uncontrollably. And I called my mom and she was like, you got to figure out another way to get your groceries. And <laughs> and I'm saying like, it didn't just happen one time. I tried again because I was like, well, maybe it was just that one occasion. I still need some groceries. I went to the store again. And when I left, the exact same thing happened. I went home and bawled to my boyfriend. So I just feel like we're forgetting that we're all in this together. And that even though we have to keep a social distance that people can still see your facial expressions that you don't have to have your eyes like bug-eyed all the time or you don't have to be so defensive that we are still in this together we are still a community and i feel like people are forgetting that because they're so afraid of catching covid-19 definitely and i what i uh, like first of all that story just touches me just because it's like it's the little things i feel like about covid-19 and about this pandemic that we're going through that i i feel like get people differently besides the the death and besides the ravish that is ravishing and like you know for you that story for me you know me falling in the bathtub the other day like I try to make light of it but when I stop and think about it it's like you know I'm home by myself it like it 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 could be so serious and I just feel like it's these little things that I I feel like creep up on us and I feel like the more that we can talk about it the more that we have a support system I I feel like is the best thing ever, which is why I love the premise of your Smize Challenge. And I, I think it's amazing. And for me personally, as a black man, um, you know, wearing a mask uh, in stores, I've said this before, it's uncomfortable for me sometimes because it's like, I don't want these people to think I'm coming up in here. Like, you know, and it, unfortunately, it's a reality that I have to face. Um, And so when I go in stores, I always be trying to smile. I don't know whether or not the people can see me, but I truly try to do it. So I just think it's amazing. But let me stop talking. So, girl, explain this challenge. What, 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 what are we doing over here? So the idea behind the Smize Challenge, I'm personally am a huge Tyra Banks fan, but she coined this term Smize years ago on America's Next Top Model. And basically the, the idea of a Smize is smiling with your eyes. And we do it all the time on Instagram, at least I know I do. But we're <laughs> forgetting that even though we have a mask on, people can still see your eyes. So the idea behind the Smize Challenge is really just spreading that message that even though you, we can't see your teeth, 
and the part of your face that typically smiles, if you make eye contact with a stranger and you smile, they can see that warmth in your eyes. They can see that you're making that connection. And I think it's important to remind everybody of that right now. And then more importantly, practice it. So I posted a smize and then I challenged 10 of my friends to do the same. And I'm hoping that we can just sort of create this chain reaction of people making eye contact first and foremost, because I go for a walk every day and people literally will cross the street to not make Mm -hmm. eye contact. Right. Yeah. We've all been there. They'll literally cross the street. So I think it's important to realize that we can still make eye contact. We can smile and people will see that even though our mouths are covered. I love it. So are you going to challenge the Purple Pants Posse to the Smize Challenge or what? I would love the Purple Pants Posse to join in. You know, I've been a Purple Pants Posse member from day one. We've been going together for some time now. (laughs) So I would appreciate if everybody would repost, Smize, tag their friends. And I just want to share a little bit of love in the world. Like, you know, obviously this isn't, it's not a huge task. It's nothing big, elaborate. It's not some savage dance but i think it is important that we're remembering to smile and connect with people both our friends and strangers i love it but i'm gonna need a better uh cha- i'm gonna need you to challenge the purple pants posse a little better i'm gonna need you to say purple pants posse this desi and i'm challenging you to my smize challenge post a photo to instagram with the hashtag smize challenge and tag me in- okay come on girl you okay. gotta get something come on my bad, my bad, my bad. So what's up, Purple Pants Posse? You know, we <laughs> go together. And I am challenging you today to post your best smiles. I know you got it. Don't be shy. And tag me in it. Tag the Purple Pants Podcast. I'm going to repost it. Tag hashtag smiles challenge. And I can't wait to see all of your beautiful faces, all of your beautiful, glowing, warm eyes. And just spread the love. Yes, I love it. And I feel like, I don't know how, like, my podcast has turned into nothing but, like, you know, positive energy. Because that's what I try to put out there. So, I'm excited. So, Purple Pants Posse, we out here. So, definitely, if you want to post it to your Instagram, you want to post it to Twitter, you want to post it to your Instagram stories, make sure you tag Desi Williams. What's your Instagram, girl, in case they don't know? At Desi J. Williams. Put in the little hashtag, Smice Challenge. I'll be sure to repost you on my stories. And I just want to spread so much love and so much joy during this difficult time. Yes, Purple Pants Posse. So make sure you tag me and the Purple Pants Podcast in it so I can post it too. So yes, so you are officially been challenged. And Purple Pants Posse, if you accept the challenge, you've got to at least challenge four of your friends and family to do it as well too. Because we got we go together. We're going to get through this together. And little by little, step by step, and one smize at a time. Thank you so much, Desi, for coming on the Purple Pants Podcast. And really creating a great challenge that we all can get behind. Thank you, Bryce. Love you so much. Mwah. Mwah. It's a reason to smize. It's a purple pants pick. It's a purple pants pick. If you hurry up quick, it's a purple pants pick. Yeah. We're on to one of my favorite segments of the podcast, Purple Pants Picks. You pick, I say. Every weekend, Saturday morning, I will post to my Instagram, Bryce Isaiah, or the Purple Pants Podcast Instagram, a picture of purple pants, and I'll say, drop your topics for Purple Pants Picks. And you guys, anything that you want to hear me talk about, any current events, any music, any TV shows, anything that comes to your mind, baby boy, gotcha. So let's kick it off. Tear underscore Kerr writes, amazing to see you take over Survivor's Instagram. 
Do you see a second chance in your future? Well, guys, I don't want to get too emotional, but you know, one rule on the Purple Pants podcast is that I said I will always be transparent with you. And so, so yes, last week, the CBS Instagram reached out to me and asked if I wanted to take over the Survivor Instagram, and I was so excited. Um, But after I did the takeover, uh, Missy from, you know, season 39, she had called me, and she just really, like, put a whole bunch of positive reinforcement and just really loved on me and was just like I'm so proud of you Bryce everything that you have been doing for the survivor community it's all coming full circle and you know as big of a personality that I have it is so hard for me to like hear positive things about me or it's so hard for me to believe that like oh great things are happening because just how I live and how I've my life has been I just don't think that good things happen to me not that I'm not a positive person I'm just like you know just keep chucking along and so I would just share this story with you is that like you know the last time that CBS has ever recognized me as a player was the day that they announced the cast for Kagiyan. Um, and that was it. I've never ever been recognized as a player since then. Even on my reunion, they didn't speak with me. They spoke to David. Garrett jumped over me, went to Jachia. I didn't have anything to say. And so I love Survivor. It's one of my favorite shows. Even before I was on this show, I watched it with my cousins and I loved it. And to be on the show was an absolute dream come true. But there are like, it is like PTSD for me. Um, I love Survivor so much, but at the same time, I feel like I got the short end of the stick. Like I said, I just feel like that's my life. Like great things happen for me, but nothing ever really takes off. And you know, I got voted out early and I accept that that was my game. But obviously I didn't want to go out and play Survivor and be the third out. I wanted to go out and play the Survivor and make the merge. I wanted to make the low one visit. I wanted to bring home that million dollars. So there's always like this like this love hate with survivor that sometimes it gets me sad sometimes it depresses me so it's like I don't always like to talk about that because I choose not to focus on the negative and so even with survivor not ever really recognizing me um you know I've always been active in the community I've always tried to show fans love I've always like you know podcasting just you know just being my natural self and I think that there hasn't really been a third boot to have the elevation that I have been blessed with to be more popular than when you were on the show like that doesn't really happen and so for that I'm so blessed and so for me for Survivor to like recognize me to say like hey it would be fun for you to do this just I I can't explain to you what that means to me to me it's just like my heart is complete so when you say is what what do you see second chances if you know if it's for me, I all, even when before I played Survivor and I was going through the the process and like, you know, they don't tell you whether or not you're going to be in it. I always was just like, God, if it's for me, let it be for me. And that's what I say about, you know, my chances of ever playing again. If it's for me, let it be for me. But I really do feel at peace in my heart that like, you know what? Oh, Survivor recognized me. They 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 see a boy out here. And I, I truly can I don't even get emotional talking about it because it really does. It really does play on my heartstrings a lot because I just feel like I do did not get the shine that I felt like I was due. But everything in God's timing and everything happens for a reason. And look, six years later, I've got my own podcast on Rob Sesterino's network. It's amazing. So I just am, I'm just happy. But I just wanted to share that with you. So if I play again, yay! If I don't, I still have the opportunity to play. And I have the opportunity to to be a part of an amazing, amazing family. So I love it. But if it's for me, if it's not, then hey, it's not for me. So that's why the Survivor IG takeover was just so dear to my heart because I just felt like it was full circle. I know you like, I ain't asked you all of that. But listen, I had to tell you. Next Purple Pants Picks comes from EJ underscore Jetty all day. 
rights dating apps okay well i mean listen in this quarantine time dating apps is popping so baby boy i'm on tinder i don't really get on it a lot i maybe once a week even if that but you know during this quarantine time these dating apps i know there's tinder there's bumble there's hinge i also feel like with this pandemic there are so many people home there's so many people around what better way to spark up a great conversation get to know somebody i am working on a special segment for the podcast that i can get an advice coach a dating coach in here to kind of help us navigate these quarantine love uh connections that we get through these social media apps or these dating apps but i I feel like dating apps can be good during this quarantine time. But you better meet your love bae. You better meet your quarantine bae. And then when it's all over, you might get married. Our next Purple Pants Picks comes from now. Wait a minute. I got to clear this one up. So the other day, I did a trivia with Aaron and Missy from season 39. So much fun. And if you have never done one, you better look to Aaron and Missy to get on these trivia nights. Uh, There was a Purple Pants Posse member in there. And she kindly let me know that this whole time I've been calling her Australian Ashley when it's really all. Austrian Ashley. Now listen, Purple Pants Posse, you know I be writing the Purple Pants picks at night, so I get a little sloppy. But, so, Austrian Ashley writes, how's your back healing from the shower wipeout? You good? Ooh, baby. So each day it's getting better and better. I feel like I'm on the road to recovery. I actually went for a run this weekend, so I feel like, you know, road to recovery. You know, baby boy, just got to be careful. But let me just say this. Since I had my slip and fall in the shower and I've been Googling slip and falls in the shower, they are more common than you think. And what is even more scary is how many of them are deadly for people that live alone. Like the statistics of somebody of like over the age of like 65 that falls in the bathroom that lives by themselves. Like the death rate of that is scary. But I mean, listen, Chile. All right. Then we've got underscore Danielle Nighting Wright writes, how are your 2020 goals going? Chile. So I told y'all before, I don't really make New Year's resolution. I'm always on a road to a better price. So I feel like I'm always striving to be the better me, to reach goals. So I would say that, you know, I feel like they stunted a little bit. This quarantine kind of took me by surprise. You know, that winter slumber uh, took me by surprise. But I feel like I am actively today working on my goals and doing what I need to do. How about you, Purple Pants Posse? Where are you guys at with your 2020 goals? Don't use this quarantine as an excuse because that's the easy way out. We got to push past it to get through. All right, then the next one I've got, E.A. Taylor 20 writes, is purple your actual favorite color or have you adopted it because of Survivor? Um, so yes, purple is not my favorite color uh, inherently. My favorite color is green, believe it or not. But since I am the purple pants badass, I wore them purple pants on Survivor, I've definitely embraced it. It's like uh, an adoptive son or a stepson. You know, you first just meet them and you just like, Nyah. but you know, 20 years in, you love them. So I love purple, but you know, my my favorite color uh, since growing up as a child has been green. Then we've got the one and only Sarah writes, man camping on Disney's Discovery Island. Now, whoo, Chile, you can't make this story up. When I saw this Purple Pants pics, I had to do some research. So, baby, you know. Walt Disney has the Walt Disney World Discovery Island, where like it's an island, but who 
Chile. Richard McGuire, 42 years old, thought, hey, I'm going to go just camp out there. Okay. So people saw him. They reported it to the police. The police were looking for him on foot in a helicopter. When they finally got him, they said, "What? where are you at? We've been calling your name on loudspeaker saying, whoever's here, come out. He was like, oh, I was in one of the caves sleeping. I was going to stay out here for three, for another two weeks. What in the hell? This this quarantine got people going crazy. So you just thought on private property at the Walt Disney Discovery Island that you could just backpack there and just be chilling. Baby, I cannot. If you have not read the story, just Google man camping at Walt Disney Discovery Island. And then when you see the photo, when you see the photo of Richard, he looked like the type to be camping at the Walt Disney uh, thing. Okay, just enough said. And then our last one says, D underscore bro writes, what do you think of Leah? Uh, what do you think of Leah, the new housewife from the Real Housewives of New York? Now, I haven't covered New York in a while, but I'm still watching. Baby, I love what Leah is bringing to the show. First of all, if any of you guys seen the last week's episode of Real Housewives of New York, when Leah wore that little Kim dress, you want to rumble with the B, huh? I was like, yes, I'm here for Leah. But listen, Leah get a little crazy when she drinking. When they was at Ramona house that night and they was drinking. Listen, Leah needs to get her alcohol under control. They all do. But I love Leah. I love the fact that Leah brings a young perspective, a young, more modern, hip, like Tinsley's young. But Tinsley, she don't live in a life that I can relate. I kind of sort of can least understand how leah grew up and like you know her upbringing so i like leah to say the least but that's it that's going to conclude this week's purple pants picks if you want to get a pick in make sure you check my instagram this saturday i will post a link not a link but a photo that says drop your topics put your topics in and baby boy got you it is time for advice given to you by price it's time for advice with price Alright, so we are back once again with another Advice with Bryce submission. Bryce, I think you can relate to this one a lot actually, so here we go. Hey Bryce, I am a big fan of the show and thanks for always being real with us. So I'm seeking some advice with Bryce. Here's the deal. I'm starting my MSW program next month. I'm going to be a social worker just like you, baby boy. I'm pretty sure I want to work with kids like as a school social worker, but I'm worried that there won't be any jobs in school social work when I graduate, so I'm keeping my options open. I'm also thinking about working in the mental health field. What's your advice on beginning my new life as a social worker? Thanks again for all that you do for the listeners, Julie. Hey, Julie, great question. I think that I have a lot of advice to offer you. One, I would say that schools ain't going nowhere. I know with the COVID-19, it makes it seem like, will kids ever return to school? But even if schools look different, whether they go more online, they go more digital, there's always going to be a need for social workers. And whether or not your job may not be in person, it still can be online and they still will need a social worker. I also know that during your MSW, like your last semester, you have to do a internship. So during that internship, you might intern at a school and you can do really well there. And I know a lot of friends of mine have interned. Where they've interned is where they ended up working. So that Keep that in mind so that wherever you intern, you might, even if it's not in school, you might intern somewhere else that you really might like where you're interning in. So that is always an option. So whenever you do your internship, you always want to try to do your best. Also, I think mental health, doing social work in mental health field is great. I've done social work in mental health field and my experience was at a psychiatric hospital uh, for adults. However, there are psychiatric hospitals for adolescents. So that is a great opportunity and they are always looking for social
social workers, just know that our field, the turnover rate in our field is very high. So there's always going to be a job for social workers. So I think that you will absolutely be fine. Also, when you have your MSW and social work, you can be a licensed uh, therapist. You can take credits and get like, you know, your annual credits and also do therapy as well, too. So there are so many different options that you'll be able to do with your MSW. And even if you find when you graduate, there's not jobs in schools or there's not jobs in mental health. You could always go into the foster care agencies, you know, child welfare workers. They're always looking for social workers. And it's a great way to say that's what you want to do is ultimately end up in a school. You can start off doing social work for foster care, mental health, and then that kind of builds your resume. And so a lot of the times I know my friends had a hard time when they went through school and some of my friends the school that I went to they had a program where the accelerator program where if you after you graduated with your undergrad you could then go into your MSW program and just complete it in a year a lot of the issues that I've noticed that people had is that they didn't have experience after they got their MSW so working in a foster care agency working in a mental health doing Counseling can all be great things, and those are jobs that aren't going anywhere. And even with this digital age, counseling, there's a lot of online counselings where you can sit at home and counsel from home. So I definitely think if you keep your mind open, you will be able to get into anywhere. And you might even be like me, start out one place and think that you love it and then get another job somewhere else and love it even more. As long as your heart's in the right place, and obviously you are in an MSW for social work, so you have to have a big heart like me, and you care. It's definitely going to be some rough days, not going to lie to you, but I guarantee you the impact that you have, whether it's, you know, on one person, two people will completely outweigh the negative days that you have or the stress that you have. But I think that you are on the right track. Enjoy this program. Learn as much as you can. Ask questions. And and when you get to your internship and you're actually doing work and applying what you learn, oh, my God, it's so glorious. So I really hope that helps. Good luck. Don't worry, baby girl. You got this. You're going to be an amazing social worker in whatever field that you find yourself in. I know you're going to do amazing work. And you got me as a resource. So if you ever need me, you know how to find me. And so thank you so much for this great question. And if you guys have any advice with Bryce, any schooling, any relationships, anything you got send it to me and I definitely will give you my opinion you guys can email me at purplepantspodcast at gmail.com for your advice with Bryce questions the following message is brought to you by give me a B B give me an A A give me an R R give me a B B B B B B B Hi, this is Ms. Barb, and I'm coming to you today to talk to you about self-worth. The only one who gets to decide your worth is you. It doesn't come from your bank account or the number of friends you have. It doesn't come from what someone else says you are worth. It's called self-worth for a reason. It comes from you. It comes from being yourself and being proud of who you are. It comes from being someone that you can count on and someone you can love. The numbers will change with time, but what won't change is who you are deep inside. Beautiful, limitless, wonderful, creative, strong, capable. And that is where your worth comes from. Love you.
Thanks, Mom, for another great Barb's message. And like I always say before, if you guys like this message, let me know. Tweet me. DM me. Because I always screenshot them and send them to my mom. She absolutely loves it. And I can't wait until our next Barb's message. Who's the freak? Who's the freak? Who's the freak of the week? Who's that? Who's that? Who's that freaky, freaky, freak? Who's the freak of the week? Might be me, might be you, might be. And we are on to the freak of the week. But before we get into that, I just have to give a huge shout out to Jason Curtis Rivera. He is the creator of our intros to all of my segments. I know y'all been hearing them. Yeah, each week I've been introducing them. And this is the first podcast that I have them all in. I love them. Thank you, baby boy, from the bottom of my heart. I love it. 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 All right. Now, freak of the week. Okay. Now, you know me. I be minding my business. Okay. No different. This week, I'm just minding my business, scrolling through the Instagram. And you know my girl, Sarah Lucina, on Friday, she posted this photo saying, happy hour at the bar. Okay, but she's talking about the gym bar. But if you think Sarah is the freak of the week, not this time, baby. She is posted next to her husband, Wyatt. Woo, baby. And they look like they're in their home gym, lifting up these dumbbells, you know, doing CrossFit. But baby, Wyatt ain't got no shirt on. Woo, his abs looking like he got like 32 abs. He got a sleeve on. Woo, baby. Wyatt. Okay, if you don't know, now you know why it is definitely this freak of the week. Please go to that Sarah Lucina page and see that photo of Wyatt and tag him up. Let him know why it is the freak of the week. Whoo! Yes, I love the freak of the week, but sometimes it make me sad because I know we get into the end of the podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening. I hope I gave you a reason to smile through your face mask. I've had so much fun with you guys this week. And don't forget this Friday, my new song, E Burials featuring Bryce Isaiah Setback comes out at midnight. I need you to stream it. I need you to post it. I want to see you jamming to my song, Setback. Hey, well, until then, I will see you next week. You already know. It's a, it's a, it's a. It's the Purple Pants. It's the Purple Pants. It's the Purple Pants Podcast. You better get your headphones and listen up quick. It's the Purple Pants Podcast. You better listen in public. Might make your stomach hurt. It's the Purple Pants Podcast. You're trying to unwind. You better get that box wine. It's the Purple Pants Podcast. You're trying to get your snack. You better hurry right back, though. It's the Purple Pants. It's the Purple Pants.